This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. The housing sector is another area where this year's Eisenhower Fellowships from Africa are focused. The need for good, affordable housing is important in many countries over the continent. Okombele Ong'onga is a fund partner with the Pan-African Housing Fund. His group is trying to grow that area in several countries across the continent, especially for young adults, which ends up being the next generation of homeowners. Nice to meet you, Okombele. Nice to meet you. Thank you. Nice to meet you. Good to be here. Thank you. If you're putting a framework on the state of the housing sector in Africa right now. How do you, how do you designate it? We break it into two, uh, that which is in the urban areas and that which is in the rural areas. Mm-hmm. When our governments discuss the question of housing and the supply and the quality of housing, they don't uh, disaggregate the two. So when, for example, government of Kenya talks about a shortage of 200,000 units a year, it's not clear whether they're talking about housing in the urban areas only or housing in the urban areas and the rural areas. Right. And the reason is that there's a particular standard of housing that they go by, in which case you'll find houses that are quite acceptable to the population, but in rural areas uh-huh. may not fit the definition of a good uh, house you know, for the Ministry of, of, of Housing Standards. Now for us, when you look, we focus specifically on urban areas uh-huh. and the, then comes two points. One which is uh, new build to follow the growth of the population sure. and urbanization, yep. uh, where you're building new new buildings in new areas perhaps or infills within the urban areas. Uh-huh. Then there's a second which is uh, re- replacing or improving dilapidated buildings. Uh, many of the, just post-independence, many of the governments invested quite a lot in providing housing uh-huh. uh, as a benefit to uh, you know to employees of governments and, and other companies in the urban areas. And for about 30 or 40 years now, there's been very limited investment in that, which means that you end up with Hmm. informal settlements as a consequence. Hmm. And with young people giving up agriculture to go and pursue the dream that they see of wealth in the urban areas, they end up having to settle in what we now call slums or other very poorly um, designed buildings without services around them, without common areas. And at the end, you end up with uh, poor health. Uh, poor yeah. sanitation and, yeah. and shortage of electricity and, 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 and other infrastructure that is required for proper uh, living for the human standards that we have. So the goal in the end is to try and eliminate some of the, those, those slum areas or as many as you can over the course, whether it be affordable housing or middle income for middle income families in, in, uh, in that area of the world. Well, I wouldn't say that our goal is to eliminate uh, okay. slums or informal settlements. Because we don't, we are a private sector solution, okay. and it's really the government's job to deal more deeply with the informal settlements or, okay. or slums. Right. What we are doing is we're saying let's increase the supply of housing yep. to someone who has the means either to rent or to buy, right. um, and, and but currently has to live in either a congested setup because there isn't sufficient supply, or a substandard setup because they are forced to live very far away from home and therefore have a long commute, right. or live in a place where the water may only come once a month because they're relying on you know reliable publicly supplied water right. or they don't have a playing ground for their kids the kids have to play in the parking lot which puts them at danger when someone else is driving in to park their vehicle so we we are addressing the private sector part of the market uh, it's it's a government's role really to resolve the question of where how how do you deal 
with these unplanned uh, informal settlements. Right. Uh, it's very difficult for the private sector to do that because there's a question of eminent domain as well here, which we in the private sector cannot address. Uh, part of this is also really addressing the need for housing for young adults. Correct. Uh, especially as they're getting out and, and getting into the workforce and, and developing a family and, and that, correct? Actually, the problem starts much earlier. Okay. Um, you may know that in the, in generally speaking, Africa is a very youthful continent. Yes. What may not be clear to most people is that youthful here means something north of 65% of our population is below the age of 30. Yeah. The problem when it comes to housing starts the minute you leave high school because university is the beginning of this problem. Okay. The universities that we have, public and private, uh, their core business is education. And normally you would expect uh, to have infrastructure supporting that education, part of which includes school rooms, but part of which, which includes the residence, residences. Housing for, for, for the, the students. students, yeah. That is completely undersupplied. Oh, really? Like I'll give you a very practical example. Uh, our former president, uh, Moe Kibaki, who's now retired, he came up with the free primary school uh, initiative, mm -hmm. which the whole world applauded some, something like 10 years ago. We're now seeing that first crop. Uh, graduate from high school uh -huh. and uh, you know a million new students appeared in in, in primary school uh -huh. let's say half a million of them managed to get it to to high school now 150,000 150,000 of them are going to university this year or next year the total number of student beds in the public universities is something less than 5,000 the total number <laughs> of students they have is north of 100,000 so what you end up having to see is from a very early age you're forced to live in a shack in order to pursue your education because the academic institutions don't have the capital, neither right. does the government really, right. to put it towards the housing. Now, when you graduate, you have the same problem. Um, even in our fund, initially what we were doing is uh, bringing to the market uh, houses that really are targeting families, right. uh, very limited in terms of the way of studios or one-bedroom apartments. Right. But very quickly we realized when we came up against the affordability question that we do have to deal with this issue because not everyone who has a desire for good quality housing near where they work has a family. Right. And a two-bedroom, two-bathroom house might be ideal for family but not so much for young people. Furthermore, in the African context, something that we're finding very strange is here in the U.S. you have roommates. Sure, yeah, absolutely. It's a culture that hasn't yet picked up. Uh, really? Eventually it will, but currently the question of roommates doesn't really exist. What happens? So it's people just living alone for the most part. Yes, or living with family members. Right, okay. Which means you have a lot more congestion. Right. Uh, this is specifically to those who are not refugees. In the refugee situation, it's a totally different story. Right. Uh, but... Here in the U.S., young adults simply graduating from, from university would go and say, can, can I room with someone in New York City, for example? Right. We don't really have – the idea of living with strangers hasn't really sunk in yet. Why then – and I, I guess that part of this problem is a historical one, that these universities and colleges did not think that having uh, dorm rooms for students to live when they were going to school was an important piece to the education sector. I mean, that obviously is something that's probably perpetrated itself for many, many years now. Well, the universities foresaw this. So they built housing sufficient for the number of students they imagined they would have. Oh, okay. However, yeah. the growth in the number of students okay. given by you know various government policies right. uh, has far outstripped the supply of housing on campus. Okay. And the private sector hasn't been able to catch up for a variety of reasons in the supply of, of good quality housing. Okay. By the way, 
Um, where the private sector currently is playing in providing uh, student housing, it ends up being substandard, even for students. Hmm. You end up with a with a room that's barely, you know, you can barely fit a bed right. in it, and you're paying north of 15, I mean, 1,000, uh, it's about 15,000 shillings, which is about $150 a month for that space where you just have a bed and shared ablutions, which is quite expensive. But the point is you have it's to like pay It's like living that. in New York City with the, with the prices. <laughs> yes. In terms of the pricing, it's not very different. Yeah. But in terms of the quality and what you get for it, it it's, it's quite substandard. Um, now, we can't, I can't really blame the universities, partly because you have got government policies of bringing people, you know, increasing access to education right. uh, without the commensurate allocation budget-wise for the physical infrastructure. Right. So the government is quite happy to build uh, some classrooms, which they don't often do, but they're happy to do that. But then the question of student housing doesn't appear to be a priority. Normally, you would expect that they would first start with there, they would house both the faculty members and students. Sure. And then, you know, find a way to increase the academic rooms. But that, by the, when we discuss students, please also remember that faculty members are also forgotten and, and tertiary staff members. Yeah. They have the same housing problem. Because now what we have is a distribution of the educational institutions outside of the main urban areas. Right. And they have the same, same issue. So what ends up being then, then the, the, both the short term and the long term way to fix that problem? Uh, I mean, it, obviously, part of it has to be with the private sector and companies like yours to be able to try and find ways to be able to build out some of this housing, correct? Correct. The, some governments have tried public-private uh, partnerships right. with some limited measure of success, partly because the, the other angle to this issue is uh, capital markets realities. And what I mean by that is that um, the governments in my region pay a fairly high uh, interest rate on their debt. Right. Uh, which means that for taking no risk, you can get 15 or 20% per annum on, on a bond that you invest in. Yeah. Now, when you come to property development, even those that have public-private partnerships, you don't get any guarantees. You're taking open market risk. Uh, you're not certain about uh, the university student uh, paying on time. You may have to rely on the university to collect rents, mm -hmm. which may be a very large component of the cost of attending a university compared to the cost of tuition. Uh, what ends up happening, though, for an investor is that they look at the yield from the property investment, and it tends to be far below the risk-free yield. And therefore, you have a problem because you can't, it doesn't make economic sense. You're losing money right. every year. Uh, in, in Kenya, for example, and this is also the case in, in Uganda, and, and uh, a little, it's a, a lot better in Tanzania, Zambia, and Mozambique, the yield on residential property is somewhere between 5 and 6%, mm -hmm. and the risk-free rate is north of 11 to 12% in each of these countries. Right. So, and the cost of you borrowing uh, from the commercial bankers is north of 18% in pretty much all of these countries except Kenya where there are interest uh, rate controls. What that effectively means to a developer is that you lose money yep. Uh, when you when you and it, this is not just student housing this is across the board yeah. when you make these developments if you're going for rental which is why initially we focused on on uh, where we build uh, to sell this, this this unit so how 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 big of a piece is the rental market to housing uh in in Ghana and, and Kenya in that part of the world you cannot solve the housing problem if you don't increase the rental stock Period, And the yeah. reason for that, by way of illustration, is that generally speaking, we're observing that uh, the cost of rent 
is about a third to a quarter of the cost of a mortgage for similarly situated, similarly sized uh, housing opportunities. Hmm. So, and and the level of incomes, if you talk about uh, GDP per capita ranging from $800 to $1,200, that's an annual number, yeah. you, you realize fairly quickly that if the world standard is that only 30 to 50% of your income should go to housing, many people cannot afford a mortgage. Sure. Which means that the solution has got to be that you increase uh, a higher supply of good quality, well-situated rental product. Our existential problem, obviously, as investors, is that the returns on the rental side might be quite low. Uh-huh. Uh, and that's because of the capital market situation. But there are solutions, which we are uh, I'm here to learn, actually, investigate and understand how did how was it done in the US? Yeah. How did you get, uh, you know, the long... People want to try to match long-term liabilities with with earnings. Then they, they go into student housing and other specialty housing developments. Does the government do the governments realize the the, the level of the issue? And and as you said, they are willing to 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 contribute up to a certain point. But at, at some point, they almost have to take that next step, understanding that in order to be able to grow the economy and be able to have successful college graduates that aren't living in shacks while they're going to school, they have to do some other things as well. Yes. The governments realize it, and and some governments. uh, Recently, actually this month, the Republic of Kenya uh, put an incentive for people who are building more than 400 units uh, per year, where now your tax rate halves from 30% corporate tax uh, from 30% to 15%. Some governments are realizing and putting in place uh, in- incentives. Yeah. However, those incentives are, you, you know, very few people can, can can do this. But intellectually, all these governments understand because they set up Shelter Africa, which is a Pan-African specialty lender supposed to be supporting the, the housing sector. Right. And Shelter Africa is also doing its best uh, to, to increase the supply of housing. Right. But the challenge, of course, is that that's on the supply side. There's also the demand side. And the incomes are what they are. Uh, and, and so when we look at uh, the end result in the market is that we are very aspirational. So very many people are going to are taking the, the solution into their own hands. Right. So that families now invest in plots of land, sometimes 30 kilometers away from where they work, because they want to be able to build their own house. Sure. They, yeah. they, 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 they do this building one block at a time or yeah. one room at a time because that's what their incomes can support. We're not saying that those houses are inferior. They tend to cost a lot more than buying a built house. Yeah, yeah. But from the perspective of what incomes I have now, that seems to be the most affordable way to go about it. Governments, generally speaking, in the region have had a big problem because, for example, police housing in our region is a big issue. Yeah. As our populations have grown, you've had more and more police people. But the governments don't have the money to house the policemen properly. So part of the reason why we have corruption as an issue is that the police housing is so substandard Families have yeah. to share a room yeah. that the police have to supplement the incomes in order to to make ends meet. So yeah. it's, a, it's a big challenge. One, I mean, our continent has very many problems. So we in the private sector are saying we will try our best. We will continue to lobby with our governments uh, to get in incentives such as what Kenya has given developers now. Yeah. But it's a long road. In the meantime, we will try and see are there learnings we can take, for example, from the U.S. Right. that can make it easier for us to continue to develop, particularly in the rental side, to house uh, and show other people how it can be done better. Because part of the other problem is that uh, we are on the building side. My business right. is on the building side. Right. But then there's the infrastructure question, which sure. contributes yeah. quite a lot to the cost of, yeah. of, of housing. And when we open up new areas, oftentimes the government comes 15 years later with the roads, with the electricity, with the water. Meanwhile, 
the first person to go there has to bear the full cost and, and the risk of security insecurity right. of having an ins, uh, insecure supply of water and electricity as well so the some governments are better at this than others rwanda in particular uh, deserves commendation right. it's extremely efficient if you want to get uh, approvals and they try to open up these roads quite quickly other con- countries have you know have prioritized other areas so yep. you, you might end up having a development that sits there for quite a, a long time before it gets basic services thank you very much for coming in Kombali. nice to meet you thank you for having us thank Appreciate you very much for more business news and analysis from knowledge at wharton please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu